Hi, and welcome to another episode of Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio, uh, brought to you by Pro Gold Bikes, Butt Chugging, and Pro Gold Again. We have got a jam-packed episode tonight. What's the difference between jelly and jam? I cannot jelly my penis into <laughs> any orifice of your body. Uh, jam, jam don't shake like that? There you go. That was a great way to kick the show off. <laughs> so this is our last episode of Just Riding Along, because now Ben's going to cancel the show because we're scumbags. That's um, all right. Um, is that the, Kenny, you said that's the third time we've talked about butt chugging? I don't think we've discussed it in depth. We'll save that for another episode that's slow. Yeah, yeah, uh, we'll talk about we have a lot. We have a lot to talk about other than, uh, it, other than rectally consuming alcohol, so. In addition to all of the... 500 questions that Facebook people have asked. Uh, we also, oh, well, I just wanted to talk about very briefly that between traveling out to Colorado and like hanging out there, meeting a couple of people riding the Tour Divide, not the actual race, but they were just doing the, you know, just the ride by themselves. Okay. Um, that and like watching the Trans North Georgia like on the spot tracker. Um, I've, I've got to do some bike packing this winter. And I I can't wait. Like, I, I'm so stoked because the last two winters I've trained a lot for cyclocross. And it's not that I'm not going to do cyclocross this year. It's just that I'm not training for, like, the Masters World Championship. So I'm definitely not going to skimp on the mountain biking. And uh, Todd, Todd Henney, which if you're in the Arkansas, West Tennessee region, you probably know who he is. He's an older guy that's like... Uh, no. What? He is... He's like Grandfather Womble. You know, I don't, I don't think that he's a seasoned mountain biker. He is. Okay. He's pretty much, he's pretty much. If you've ever seen Matt, imagine Matt when he's like 50 years old, and that's Todd. Like Todd is, he may be gray-haired and and over 50, but he will straight whoop your ass on a mountain bike. So I told him that I want to go out and help him make. He's he's kind of thinking up a loop around Arkansas, like literally around the west part of Arkansas to kind of rival, not rival, but, you know, be on par with, like, Colorado tra- Colorado Trail Race and Tour Divide, like the Arkansas version of that. Um, so I'm going to get into that, and I've been talking to David from Nuclear Sunrise, uh, who makes all sorts of pack stuff, uh, you know, like the the bike touring and bike packing, uh, like the seat bags and the frame bags and handlebar bags and all of that stuff. Uh, he's got some really good stuff, so um, I'm probably gonna, you know, talk to him about putting that all over my off carbon bike and uh, doing a little, a little some some campouts this winter because it doesn't really get too cold down here in the south, too cold to camp anyway. Uh, so we should get into this, this stuff. Uh, we've got a huge list of stuff since I just mentioned winter. Hold on, let's. Let me get there. Oh, Matt's going to go there and pick out a question for him. Uh, where am I trying to go? I'm trying to go to... Mountain Bike Radio. Yeah, fill the, fill the dead air here for me. That's all right. We can go to one that's kind of uh, kind of easy. I was going to say, let's... Uh, we could probably answer... Um, is there more than 20 questions? No, there's not actually 20, but it's it seems like a lot. Okay, so we had two people ask about night riding and light. And I know that Kenny has done extensive 
night lighting, night riding, and he's actually well. You built your own lights, haven't you? Um, some. Yeah, I'm a huge light nerd. Yeah, at least you're a huge light nerd. Um, so Tom Turgeon says, <laughs> night riding. How powerful a light do you need? How much light? And how much lights have improved in the last three or four years? And how prices have gone down with LEDs? Um, yeah. yeah. So pretty much. Um, for the most part, every good light these days is LED. Um, so way back in the day, everything was halogen, and they were okay, I guess, but battery life was horrible, and they, they were sick and clunky and hot, and they would, if you hit a bump, they would burn out, and it was kind of like bad for mountain biking. And I had one back in the day, and it was a lot of fun. It was an old... Ryan still has one. It was an old night rider, um, and it was, it was cool. It got me into the idea of night riding, but man, it was clunky, and you ran the thing on high, and it would last an hour with like a five-pound water bottle battery, and it was, it was pretty rowdy. Um, so then they went HID. Uh, HIDs were pretty good, but they were kind of fragile and they were pretty expensive and they still didn't really run that long. And honestly, they really weren't that bright. They were about like between 500 and 1,000 lumens. Uh, and it's just, that's really not quite enough. So yeah, LEDs, long story short, are awesome and that's where it's going to. And LEDs are manufactured in a really similar way to computer chips. So basically, Every, every few years, they pretty much like double the output for the same amount of power input, which is pretty cool. So they're going to get awesome, and they're only going to get more awesome, and they're going to get cheaper. Do you have any recommendations as far as the brand? I mean, I, I know I've used like the Trail LED, and I really liked it. And I have a 1200 yeah. that I use in conjunction with a 500 lumen light. Mm -hmm. I put the 1200 on my handlebars and the 500 on my helmet, and that works really well. But I ride for you know a couple of hours at a time if I do ride. Yeah, there's a lot of really really good stuff out there. So the way the way I look at it is this: is that LEDs are improving massively year over year. So the way the way I see it is I don't want to invest a thousand dollars into like a set of super high end lights because next year they're going to be obsolete pretty much. So, and not obsolete, because if they're really bright and they work today, yeah, they're going to work tomorrow, but there's going to be a product out there that's going to be either A, twice as bright for the same amount of money, or the same brightness for half the money. So however you want to look at that. And it probably it's not that extreme, is it? Or is no, it's probably not every year, but every two years, they're roughly doubling output okay. for the same amount of power input, right. or roughly same amount of output for half the price. So getting back to the question then, how much light do you need? I would say that combined, if you're going to do single track mountain biking and you're decently fast, that you need 2,000 combined lumens to be happy. Yeah. And you just need, I think you need the ability to have 2,000. You might not run 2,000 all the time, but it's nice to be able to have that reserve where you can click up if you're doing a fast descent or if you're just kind of like your eyes are getting tired, you just... You know, whatever it is, I like having the 2,000 lumens. I ride with about, I have the ability to have like 2,500 or so. I mean, I've been, <laughs> I mean, I've been comfortable doing rides at pretty normal speed at, you know, the 1,200 and 500. Um, but I do have them on full blast for sure, Yeah. Uh, when I want to go faster. And that's, I haven't done any like race pace riding. So you have, either. for reference, Andrea rides about 2,000 lumens, roughly, combined. 12.5. 12.5. 12.5. 12.5. 12.5. 12.5. 12.5. 12.5. 12.5. 12.5. 12.5. 12.5. 12.5. 12.5. 12.5. 12.5. 12.
Yeah. 17. <laughs> close, close enough. Close enough? Okay. Close enough. Okay. Somewhere okay. around that 2,000 ballpark is good. 1,000 is acceptable, I think. Like, having two 500 lumen lights, like, those little, every, every major manufacturer, a really, really good place to start if you're really budget conscious. All the big manufacturers, Knight Rider, Saigo Light, uh, Surface. There's like 10 other ones. Light in Motion. There's a bunch of them. And they're little, like, I don't know how to describe them. Bigger than like lipstick, but kind of lipstick form factor, where it's probably, you know, it's like a little cylinder and it's going to have one tiny little battery that's going to be in it. And like the size of a large nail polish. Uh, <laughs> or we, oh, I guess we're on the size of your grip. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's grip, a grip size. Oh, the whole, I'm sorry, the whole light's the size of your grip. Yes. The battery's about the size of your well, ring finger. Yeah, something like that. Regardless, there's a self contained light, relatively small. It's the size of a very small handheld flashlight, and it mounts on your bar or your helmet. And every manufacturer makes one, and they're usually between like four and seven hundred lumens each. Whoa. Okay. So uh, Matt is like deep throating himself over here for some reason. It's very strange. It was a battery. Um, okay. It was also my middle finger. Finger, not himself. Okay. Yeah, I can't throw myself. You're very talented. Um, anyway. And large and flexible. Oh man. Are we really going to go there this early? I guess we are. We're going to go dead air. Why, why, why do you love me drink so much? So anyway, back to these lights. All the manufacturers make these things. They're really good. 400 to 700 lumens, and they all cost like right at 150 bucks a piece. And you get one for the bar, one for the helmet. It's really good. You get redundancy. Like definitely you, go for both. Get both because it gives you better depth perception. And if you crash out or snag a branch or whatever, you've got another light. Or if you forget and like you didn't charge one or whatever, you've got an extra one. So always have two. Uh, but my recommendation would be a thousand plus lumens on the bar and 500 plus lumens on the helmet. And you should be pretty good to go. And there's a million manufacturers out there. The, the short of it is if you're going to buy a Chinese one, buy one that is supported by whatever seller it is. And don't buy one with an actual Chinese battery because the Chinese battery is going to be like at best downright dangerous. And at worst, it's going to burn your house down. So, <laughs> no, I'm serious, too. Like, people's houses are burning down over these things, and it's not worth messing with. So, buy one with Japanese, like, Panasonic, Samsung, or whatever, with real cells inside of it instead of Chinese knockoff deals. Um, the Chinese actual lightheads are fine. So, that's that. Uh, there's a million manufacturers out there. So, just kind of do your research. Go on MTBR. They've got a giant review thing of all these lights. But yeah. Matt has a question. No, I have some input. So recently, uh, I got to hang out with Dax Massey. Oh, uh, yeah, Dax. It was quite the experience. And Dax is... Young wise. Dax <laughs> is a rep for the company Light in Motion. And he said that something that Light in Motion is working towards and really wanting in the industry is some type of standardization and way to hold other companies accountable to their Lumen claim. So if you wanted a light that was, let's just say, you wanted a thousand lumen claim on your light, you would need to get it, and I'm going to make this up, he didn't say a name, um, but you need to get it like certified, L-I-D-Q-C checked, yes. and what that would mean is like, you sent one of your lights in, and with that light, they ran it, and your light did produce X number of lumens, and your battery lasted for X amount of time. Yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. a really good idea. If you could get a third party to do that, that would be good. But eh, the thing is, just look at reviews. Like, go to MTBR because they actually use what's called an integrated sphere, and it's what the real people who know what they're doing use to measure output. 
and it's this big old, very expensive piece of machinery that captures every last little lumen or whatever the hell comes out of those things, and it records it, and it is what it is. Like, there's no, you know, fake it. It's just, it is what it is, and it turns out that the big manufacturers that spend big bucks on R&D, um, like, for example, Lupine, the German company who makes the most expensive lights, they have an integrated sphere that they use to rate these things, and sure enough, when they measured it on theirs, it was exactly what they rated it at. So you're saying like if you get the China carbon light and it says this is 2,000 lumens, yes. there's a real good chance it's only 1,000. It's not even a real good chance. It is half of what they say. And here's the thing. What they do is these people who don't know any better, they look at the manufacturer's sheet for the LED. Because you can't fake the LED. The LED is made by a big manufacturer. It's probably made by someone called Cree or some other big manufacturer of these things. And they take their spec sheet, and the spec sheet is under, like, the most amazing situation in the entire world with, like, 71.2 degrees amb ambient temperature and all this kind of crap under complete full power for, like, one microsecond, it produces X lumens, right? Right. Here's the problem is when you actually put it in a device and you have a thing that drives it, and it's inefficient, and then you have a lens that it goes through, and then you don't drive it at 100%, because if you did, it would melt, and all this other kind of stuff, it doesn't actually produce a 1,000 lumens like it's rated for. It produces 600, or whatever it is. So take all those things with a grain of salt, because if you look at it, I'll take, for example, the Cree XML T6, which is the LED that everything in the entire world uses right now. Okay. It's this. We'll just take your word for it. I will take your word for it. Yeah, so it's this LED, and everyone uses it in the world. And your it's nerd rated, is showing. It is super nerdy. I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> and it's rated at something like 1,200 lumens on the on the sheet made by Crete, right? But guess what? Never in a million years is it ever putting 1,200 lumens actually out of the light that it's put in. It's never going to happen. But what they do, these Chinese manufacturers say, oh, we crammed four of these things in there. So it's 4,800 lumens. <laughs> um, but it's not. It's just not. It's probably, you know, on a good day, if it's a Chinese light and you have no idea who actually makes it, and it's called, like, super, super fun night fire light, <laughs> uh, it is going to make probably half of what it actually says. So keep all that stuff in mind. Yeah. When you buy a $50 Chinese light on eBay that says 4,800 lumens, don't be a freaking idiot. It doesn't actually put out 4,800 lumens, and it's probably going to burn your house down. So um, keep all that stuff in mind. Yeah. Ooh. You should probably, I mean, unless you're just a huge nerd like Kenny and you know what you're doing, um, stick to the you know the manufacturers that test that stuff and don't burn yeah. your houses down. And if you're going to buy a cheaper one, at least buy a cheaper one that's been verified. Like go on MTBR or any of these other huge review places. And at least somebody's gotten their hands on it, and they've actually like sort of measured the output in some fashion or whatever. And just look at a review of it. Don't go on eBay and buy like the knockoff of the knockoff of the knockoff. And there literally are like three-time knockoff lights out there. <laughs> and I don't know why you'd ever want to buy one of those. Yeah, they're super super cheap, but you have no idea what you're getting. And if it if it fails in a week, nobody cares. And they have batteries that if you leave them on the charger, they burn your house down. All right, we've talked about burning your house down. Yeah, one more time. thing I want to add. Um, get a good rechargeable tail light. Hotshot makes... Um, it's a Cygolite. Cygolite makes something called the Hotshot. Um, it's a one-watt rechargeable, like USB rechargeable tail light. Um, use that. Use that during the day. Um, I've been rear-ended by someone before, and it was broad daylight. 
I don't know if she would have seen me if I'd had a taillight on. And, uh, but, you know, I still, I, I use a taillight much more often now than I did before. Yeah, um, if I, when I ride the road I, in the daytime, I always have some yeah. kind of flashy light in the back. And yeah, USB chargeable is super convenient. I ride a Cellulite Hot Shot. It's awesome. Yeah. I like it a lot. There's a bunch of manufacturers that make a similar thing. It's a really bright USB rechargeable. But spend just a tiny light. bit of money on the tail light because like the Cellulite one is much more waterproof, much more shock resistant than one that costs $20 less than it and uses AAA batteries. Like the Cellulite is so much better. It's so much it's worth much more than twenty dollars more yeah, than the for, for less than one. for less than fifty bucks you can get an awesome tail light. Yeah. So to just do it. Yeah, use your tail light. Cool. We we have, I think we've exhausted lights. Yeah, we've 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 gone through lights. Yeah. Also the other person that had asked about that was Jill Martindale. She just had said now that it's getting dark, what lights do you recommend? Yeah. And and I wanna add one more thing to it. <laughs> oh god. This is and really the last thing because I'm getting tired of lights. Oh Matt's getting cranky. It's not no. it's not tech stuff. I'm just saying, go night ride because it's friggin' awesome. I go faster and take more chances at night than I do in the day. You're weird. It's awesome. Okay. Uh, okay, Joe Edwards. Hold on. This is... Nope. Okay. What? If you're Press gonna it. night ride at night, once you get to the trail, turn your rear, tra your rear tail light off. Yes. Or take it off with flash. Yes, no, please. turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> or turn it I off. I can't fucking see. Turn your light off. Okay. There we go. I dropped one of my up. Well, I like to keep it on so the armadillos know. Dude, I totally hit an armadillo the other night. Where I'm at. I almost went over the bars. I, I hit an armadillo really, really bad on like a week ago when I did the Wolf River Trail, the Stanky Loop. When I saw you. Yes, on the way back. Okay. And I hit it like I almost died because he was actually. <laughs> here's the thing is armadillos, if you know it or not, and uh, they are like pigs because they like to. Um, snort. Yeah, and they also uh, will completely cover themselves in mud. So they get like they'll get in a mud hole and like and get all like burrowed down in there. So that's where it happened. He was all the way down in a mud hole, and only like the top little part of his back was showing. And you know, if anybody knows armadillos, when their defense mechanism when they get scared is they jump straight up in the air. <laughs> Oh, they do. And they make like weird armadillo noises. Like, ah! You know, exactly. Exactly. Okay, keep going. So I'm going over this thing and I'm not even thinking, you know, because when you're going through a trail, you know pretty well, you see an obstacle, you make a decision and you just do it. And I saw this mud hole. It wasn't a way around. It wasn't that big. I see what looked like a stick or a rock or something in the middle of it. And I'm like, I'm just going to like walk my front tire over that and just like skate over it. And I do. And I get the front tire over it. And the armadillo realizes he's getting run over and he freaks out. And I didn't know it was an armadillo at the time. And it jumped straight out of that mud hole. Like, and it shot mud everywhere and like almost crashed me out. And I have to say, in a in a brief lapse of judgment, I was so angry and startled that like and this thing was like making weird armadillo noises and running off into the woods that I grabbed the stick and I tried to like chase this armadillo down and kill it into the woods and I'm like screaming and yelling and the guy that I was riding with thought that I was totally insane <laughs> oh. so long story short is the armadillo almost killed me and he got away unscathed so my armadillo did not get away unscathed at all yep so I'm ripping down the trail and I come out of this I'm going through a hard and this is actually at night I went night riding last week I had to work until, like I saw you and the next day I had to work until like 7.30 yep. or so 
And I decided to hell with it. I'm going to ride tonight anyways. So came home and hopped on my bike and took off. I didn't ride very long. I rode maybe like 45 minutes. I mean, I, it was just one of those things like, I'm going to ride. Screw everybody else. Anyways, I'm ripping along. And I'm going around this good right-hand corner. And again, it's one of those things where like I know what's going on. And I swear to you, this little armadillo is like armadilloing down the trail away from me. They love going away. <laughs> like they run away. They run in a straight line, just away from you. And at the last second, when they see you, they turn. They turn. They make a ninety-degree turn and go straight into you. So that's exactly what this one did. And then when they hit you, they freak out. And you're like, uh oh, I just hit something. And then they jump straight up in the air. There was no jump. There was no jumping straight up in the air for this armadillo. Okay. I was ripping down the trail. I go around this right-hand corner. And there's this little, like, and you're talking about that, like, you know, split-second decision. I'm like, stick, stick moving, possum. That's like, it was like stick, stick moving, possum, no armadillo. And, like, all at the same time, I just kept leaning to go right to go past it. And right as I went past it, my front wheel missed it. And he made his abrupt turn and ran right under my rear wheel. Yeah. But I was still, like, committed, like, laid into the turn and, like, fully seated in the saddle of the hardtail. Yeah. So when I hit him, he made his armadillo noises. And I... What noise was that? And I shit you not, I felt this armadillo slide and roll in front of my rear wheel yeah. for a second. Oh, yeah. And then it was just like I ran into, like, a five-sized log. Because oh, yeah. it was like, woo! And, like, I hit that armadillo probably going 12 miles an hour with all of my body weight on the saddle of the hardtail. Yeah. Oh. I did not go back because I could not fathom seeing a half-dead armadillo. No, he was totally fine. Dude. <laughs> Then so fuck that armadillo. Way back when I had one that I he I didn't see him. He didn't see me until my bike was pretty much past him. And all of a sudden I hear a huge commotion. This thing comes shooting out of the woods and I see it in my periphery. And he goes straight through. This is when I just gotten that brand new EXO derailleur. And he ran straight through it, clean through it, like like head first straight into it, derailleur, clean off the bike and goes straight through my rear wheel and takes out two spokes. Like just through it. <laughs> you know what, guys? I saw some baby armadillos once, and they were really cute. Baby armadillos are cute. There's a lot of that's baby my, things. That's why I was just sharing my armadillo story. Yeah, okay. There's a lot of baby things that are cute. Like, Jesus baby, like baby hippos are probably like really cute or something, but like a full-size hippo will well, like eat you in one bite and kill everything around I saw a video. Uh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're like, we have so many questions. Can we get back to the questions and get past the armadillos? Okay, we have, long story short is armadillos come out at night and there's a lot of funny armadillo stories. And if you live in the South, they're everywhere. And if you live near water in the South, they're even more everywhere. It's totally insane. And if you've never seen an armadillo in real life, they're the weirdest looking freaking thing. They're so cool. In the world. And they have the tiniest heads. <laughs> and their heads are, I mean, their heads are so unbelievably tiny. And you know that the brain inside of that head is like even tinier. It's like, like the size of a peanut. Probably. It's probably smaller than a peanut. And they're big. Like those things will, in Memphis, I've seen those things, they have to weigh at least 30 pounds. <laughs> no, they don't. 30 pounds. Easy. They do not weigh 30 pounds. Alright. Okay. So, I'm going to start, I'm on the Facebook page. I want to start. Can we answer? Okay, we have some people that. Uh, let's go ahead and get to Michael. No, no, no. Get into a question. 
Let's do this in a methodical way. Let's start at the top. And how much time do we have left? We have 35 minutes. 35 minutes. Let's run through these. Can we do the ones that... No. Because Hold on. Like, <laughs> let's, let's start with the ones that people... The people that shared that are eligible to win socks. I have no idea of knowing who shared or well, not. Well, I do. I have here. to start on here. Well, then, okay, if you didn't share, we don't love you today. We're not going to answer your question, and it's going to be really hard to go back through and pick them out at the end, so we're not going to. Well, we can't answer every question today anyway. We so. can. Just like this. What goes into shaking Not everybody cream? can win. Not everyone can win. It's just people need to people need to come into terms with that. You know, like when you have a little kid and he plays t-ball and he, like, really sucks, he shouldn't get a trophy. Okay. <laughs> but... You know what? what, what, what did you want no I just want to start at the top and go down. What goes into chamois cream? And if you're not rocking a chamois, should you even bother with the effervescent cream on those epic all-day rides? Leah, Lee talked. If you're not riding in a chamois and you're doing epic all-day rides, your taint must be tougher than a bed of nails. Okay? Okay. If you're going to ride all day, you should probably wear a chamois. If your chamois is bothering you, you should buy nicer shorts. So, boom, we answered a question. I think that pretty much covers it. But I like chamois cream. I like these nuts. Like, a monk told me once that I should sandpaper my tank every night before I go to bed to make it thick and strong. <laughs> so if you do that... You know, for once, I thought we could, like, knock out some questions, and that's obviously not going to happen. just stick along with this tonight though. I'm gonna like wander off. You know what? I'm wandering off. Screw everybody. <laughs> I like if you're female, well even if you're male, the D's Nuts Bliss um, is awesome because it's got tea tree oil in it and even if you're, your underside is irritated following a ride, like once you get out of the shower and you're still like, yeah, that's kind of sore, you can put a little bit of that on there and it it's not so heavy that it, um, you know, that it's uncomfortable. It makes your skin feel nice. And soothing. No, D's nuts is good because you can like post medicate. Yeah. It. I think the regular D's nuts actually has tea tree oil as well. It's just got more menthol in it. Okay. Because I I use the regular and that's what I use on a daily basis yeah. and like. Daily, like you put it on for work. Even if I don't ride. <laughs> well, I mean, every day I've got my ritual. I sand my tank, and in the morning I have four rock tanks. <laughs> And then, and then I apply liberal liberal amounts of these nuts before I go out clubbing. These nuts. Okay, Matt, what questions do you want to answer next? Are you just are you looking at Twitter or something? All right. So. Joe Edwards had a good question about the X tires. Don't ask for my help, and then. Like, I, did, I was suggesting <laughs> that you look at his questions. I said we should just go through the questions. We never do. Here, this. Here's the thing. We Matt's know. getting cranky. Matt gets to pick the next question. I'm not question. getting cranky. Let I just Matt pick the people keep asking me what I think the next question should or like what I I'm trying to give some positive feedback and give okay, us Okay, you you give us the next pick question. question. Would Ronnie be considered an okay cross trainer? It has been quite rainy here, blah blah blah. Ben gives the best answer. Ask Coach Drew Edsel in the dirt with Drew Edsel because none of us really run and none of us are paid to coach people and he would probably have the best option for you. My only feedback would be if it's too rainy to ride the trails, your mountain bike works on the road, go ride on the road. If you're afraid of getting wet, you should probably 
become a little bit tougher because it might rain on you one day during a race. If that's not acceptable, get slick tires and ride a pair of rollers indoors. So you had one question to choose that was all yours, and you chose a question you can't even answer. No, I'm not choosing questions. I was going to go through in chronological order of when people commented on the post and try to answer as many as possible. Okay. So. <laughs> ben also said thoughts Brickhouse Racing, so I feel compelled to answer that question. He did say that he loves running, so I would say, you know, if you love running and... You should probably see a psychiatrist. No, no, like trail running... Okay, road running, if you love if you love running on the road, you really should see a psychiatrist. But if you're talking about trail running, um, you know, if it's if the trails are totally, totally sloppy and it's actively raining, you probably should yeah, just like with the mountain bike, don't run on the trails right then, but the trails will be runnable without the potential for damage before they are rideable without the potential for damage. So um, yeah, I mean, if you love running, you can do that. You can kind of, you can maintain some fitness by running. It's not as good as riding. Um, the one benefit that you will get that you guys may not have ever noticed because you don't go out and run the trails. I started trail running way before I started cycling. Um, and when I started riding, uh, I knew where all of the weird little obstacles were because I'd run over them at, you know. <laughs> I'd run over them at five or six miles an hour uh, before I rode over them at 10 to 15 miles an hour. So, you know, that, that's helpful. You know, you can, like, find out little intricacies of a trail by running it. Um, you know, or like Matt said, ride your mountain bike on the road. That, that works, too. It's not going to Yeah, or on rollers or, you know, a trainer. Like, if you're going to do indoor training, my advice is use uh, do, do interval training. And don't ride for more than an hour to an hour and a half. You can get in a warm-up, a solid, solid interval workout, and a cool-down within an hour. And be done with it and have a really good training session without wanting to stab yourself in the head with a skewer. Uh, you know, so don't get on the trainer and just ride monotonously. Get on the trainer and do intervals. Um, okay. Let's, you know, my thing is, with the Facebook thing, like the, the posts are kind of mixed up, so I had just written them all down. I give up. I'm just going to close my computer. Oh, I need to check and make sure we don't have a call. No, we don't have any callers. We don't ever have callers. We need to first get to the people that actually, so the, the, the sock contest was if you shared the post and you posted a question. Uh, and there were only a few people that actually did both that I could tell. Though Facebook did tell me that I may not be able to see everyone who shared the post based on their privacy settings. Um, but I'm going to start with them, and then we'll start with the rest of the people in chronological order. How about that? Is that cool? Can anyone else do the paper then? Because no one else has any idea. Matt's cranky. You get to choose the second question. No, I'm not cranky. It's just this is this is this is just. We've got Joe and. I'm just a little too drunk to deal with myself right now. So. Okay, well. Got to go with the flow, man. Well, I'm just gonna start. This is in chron. This more. is this is the chronological chronological order for the people that actually. Great for qualifying them. questions. Great. Let's keep moving. Okay, <laughs> uh, Joe Edwards wants to know uh, cyclocross season is coming up and wants to know what our favorite cyclocross tires are. Um, dry course, mud fest, rooty conditions, etc. Cigaro. 
Or us is supposed to say Saharo. I can tell you what my favorite mountain bike tire for this year is going to be. Cyclocross <laughs> tire? Or cyclocross tire, correct. I'm going to run specialized fast track 2.0s on my backup mountain wheels, and I'm going to race 2.0 minimal knob tires for every cyclocross race, and I'm going to stomp a bunch of people on cross bikes. Or Isn't that illegal? Only if it's a UCI sanctioned race. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or... I'm going to be staying on the sideline with some custom cups I'm going to order, and I'm going to pour beer on you. Don't, so. you, don't you crash a lot in cyclocross races? I find myself... Your worst crash ever was in a cyclocross war. I find myself riding past the... My skill level and level of fitness exceeds the level of planning that the course organizers put into the courses. Stupid bump in the course. No, this was, this was really dumb. Like, where Matt hit his face on the ground, it was just a random pile of dirt and gravel. I know. I'm going to It's fun to do. It was the most ridiculous thing to put in a cyclocross course because it was just tall and steep enough that you could not see what was on the other side. And it was just this hard pile of dirt and gravel. I mean, it was... We've talked about this, like, yeah, even yeah. in really early episodes. So, my so favorite, favorite cyclocross tires, um, since I'm racing cyclocross this season, and I've raced it relatively extensively, um, I like tubulars, first off. Um, you know, a lot of people are doing tubeless now, but if you really want the lightest and the best riding, um, you go with tubulars. They're definitely more expensive. Um, you definitely don't want to ride them all the time because if you flat one, it is a pain in the ass to replace it. Uh, it's expensive to replace it. Um, but as far as performance goes, that's the best thing you can get. It, they outperform tubeless tires, and I don't care what anyone says, they still outperform tubeless tires. Like, you take the fastest person on tubeless tires and you put them on tubulars, they're going to be faster. They're going to have better traction. They're going to be able to run lower pressure. You know, you just have to deal with the, if you're really serious about it, you deal with the drawbacks to tubular tires. Uh, now, if you want something that's a little bit more all-around, tubeless tires are excellent, um, just like they are for a mountain bike. But you just need to make sure that you have a tubeless rim and tubeless tire because you can't, you know, with mountain bikes, you can get a tubeless rim and put almost any tire on it, and it will work. Uh, it's not really the same with cyclocross. Uh, cyclocross, it just doesn't work the same. The pressures are a little higher, the volume's lower, or, yeah, lower, and it just does not seem to work the same. Um, so, you know, as far as tubulars go, I like the Challenge Lemus. Um, I've kind of modified my rear tire. That one's really, it's famous for being a mud tire and being a little slower on, like, hard pack stuff. Um, so I actually modified my rear tire and I cut the center knobs out of it. Um, so it rolls just a tiny bit faster. Um, you know, and they make some that are more middle of the road that are less, uh, I guess, specialized towards mud. I, I you know, I just ran the Lemus all season, so I didn't really get picky about it. Uh, but for training, I like the, uh, Hutchinson Bulldogs, which it's hard, you can't find those in tubeless very much anymore. They're kind of hard to, they changed it when the UCI like rule came out and there started to be more UCI races here in the U.S. But 
uh, a lot of tubeless tires are coming out now. So check out check that stuff out. Um, as far as just plain clinchers that you put a tube in, I have no idea because I don't ever use those. So that oh, kind of, uh, that, hopefully that answers your question. You know, hard pack stuff. People are people like file treads, but you know, the, unless you're going to change your tires around a lot, um, I don't know. I wouldn't really mess with file treads. So, yeah, Joe Edwards, there's your question. Did Michael qualify? Michael. Fidetto. Yes. <clears throat> what is your opinion on the race face narrow wide chain rings? There's a view over on Pinkbike that tested them with and without a clutch rear derailleur and didn't have a single drop chain with either setups. Is this the poor man's XX1 we've been all we've all been waiting for? Uh, yes, yes it is. I personally ride a narrow wide chain ring from Raceface, and I have never dropped the chain. I'm using the XTR clutch rear derailleur, and have had no issues. Um, I took it to Breckenridge, and I descended some stupid stuff with it. And it didn't give me any issues. I have ridden the absolute bejesus out of it and tried to pedal through some bumpier stuff that made my organs feel like they were going to fall out and didn't have any issues with it. And uh, all in all, I've had really good luck. Kenny's running a similar product. I've been running the Poor Man's XX1 for like 10 years now, except nobody believed me and they all thought I was stupid. <laughs> Well, you were using a chain guide before I was, the narrow wide thing came out. Before the narrow wide thing came out, I was using a chain guide for the one by uh, one by ten, and it was great. But yeah, now I run personally. I run just like Matt. I run the XTR medium cage clutch rear derailleur, and it's really good. And I run the uh, Wolf Tooth Components Spiderless GXP uh, chain ring because I have a SRAM crank. If I had a 104 BCD crank, I would probably run the Race Face because it's like half the price. Um, but pretty much from what I've seen, all the narrow wide chain rings, whoever makes them, they all seem to work pretty much the same. So I would just pick whichever one you like, whatever color you like, or whatever price you like, or whatever. Uh, they all seem to work. It seems to be that the front chain ring in these one by setups is actually more important than the rear derailleur. Because I've seen a lot of people set up, have just a clutch rear derailleur with a regular front chain ring, and it, and it still drops. Yeah. But if you have the vice, vice versa, if you have narrow wide front ring and just a regular rear derailleur, it still kind of seems to work. So kind of interesting. So I can give some feedback on that. I did not yet have my original narrow wide ring that I wanted. So I was going to run Andrea's 32 tooth. Yep. And my plan was to run a 36 tooth narrow wide chain ring. So I left my 36 tooth existing chain ring on there that was my big ring in my yeah. 2x10 setup Yeah, and I was going to size the chain that way. Okay. That way I knew the chain would be long enough I could run the 32 and then later put the 36 on when it became available. Sure. I could not even shift to the largest cog in the rear. It fell off the front before I made it there. Oh, okay. So like just shifting the bike, I was gonna go ahead and adjust the shifting before I swapped the cranks over. Yeah. And it wouldn't stay on the front chain ring. But now I've moved, you know, I put a 36 tooth narrow wide in there and I never saw an issue with it. I ran now an XX, running that, right? Yeah, I ran an XX1 crank on that bike and didn't have any issues. And then I put a 36 tooth narrow wide on there on a NOR, SRAM NOR crank, didn't have any issues. 
when we rebuilt Ryan's jet, I put my door crank with 36 tooth on there, and I put a 32 tooth on my bike with an XT crank and the stages power meter and everything for Breckenridge. And I have not went to a larger chain ring since getting back because they're all out of stock everywhere, so I can't get one. I've actually, like, I think I've gone crazy. <laughs> I have a hook of, like, 20 of them. Wow. So I'm gonna, I'm out of control. So if you are looking for a narrow, wide chain ring... Don't call Kenny until after I go by tomorrow. At <laughs> wait until tomorrow... Or wait until... Uh, what's Wednesday. Wednesday. Wait until Wednesday. <laughs> and call Outdoors Incorporated in Cordova. There's several locations, but you need the Cordova location. I've got I've got 120 BCD GX. Wait, what did you get 120 BCD? 104, um, yesterday. Did you call Michael on? Yes. What did he say? You already bought one. Woo! <laughs> Glad that's done. Anyway. Yeah. So if you are looking for one and your shop is sold out and they're sold out everywhere else, talk to Kenny because <laughs> Kenny has apparently a hook of 20 of them. I do. It's out of control. That's like, well, never mind. I think that it. answers the question. That I have $1,000 worth of narrow wide chain ring. But, okay, so Matt, didn't you say that there's a little bit of a rumor about SRAM wants to throw a temper tantrum about everyone copying their... Yeah. Yeah, guess what? I'm going to say it right now. SRAM, if you're listening, you do not have a patent on a fatter chain ring. You might have a patent Okay, so this is the exact words that I heard. I was like, yeah, I'm running the narrow wide chain ring from Race Face with the XTR, and I've been having good luck. Uh, you know, I just, where I live, I didn't really need XX1. You know, regular 1136 would get me by with what I need to do. At home, I can get away with running a 36 tooth narrow wide chain ring because of 3636 in Memphis at, you know, sea level or even in just sea level is fine, you don't need to go slower than that. Yeah, we're going to see, you're going to start seeing those other chain rings fall off the market. Really? Yeah, SRAM has a lot of money and invested in this product, and we also have some good lawyers, and, and you'll probably see those other chain rings fall off the market once they get good and warmed up. Is that why y'all had to put that special weird little, like, I-beam shape on there so you could actually patent it. Yeah, but without that, it doesn't actually hold the chain on. I haven't had any trouble with mine yet. <laughs> so pretty much, SRAM, it sounds like they have a patent on their wide ring having that little fin on the edges that is wider, where Race Face and everyone else is just making a batter. I know what you're talking about. And here, this is complete conjecture on my part. I have no idea what's actually going on behind the scenes. And I don't either. I have not seen a patent on the current XX1 chain ring. I'm not saying there's not one. There might be one and they just don't talk about it, right? Well, there very well could be. But here's the thing. If there's not one currently on it, I don't think that you can just get one after retroactively. No. And then, yeah. Here's the other thing about it. All right, let's say, let's just go ahead and say that SRAM does have a true patent on this thing and they really were the first people to come up with that idea, right? Okay. Um, and it very well might be the case. I can't think of anybody that has a narrow wide chain ring from way back when. So let's think about like uh, oval shaped chain rings, right? 
Right. Shimano did it for a while, BioPace, you got rotor rings. There have been a lot of people that have done that idea, right? Right. Narrow wide, I can't really think of anybody that's done that in the past. But I've seen some squabbles on like MTBR and stuff, or maybe Pink Bike, that yeah. it was in other industries. Oh, you mean like in like industrial machinery? Like or alternating tooth sprockets existed outside of the bicycle world before SRAM made an X-Sync chain ring. Okay, well, so here's the thing. Even if it did, if it's for a particular industry, I think you're still allowed to have a patent. Even if it's the same thing, you, I think you're still kind of allowed to do that. I'm not a patent lawyer. I don't know. You can okay. patent very small changes and things and just say, oh, it's only for the bicycle industry. And then your patent is only applicable in the bicycle industry. If somebody uses it for something else, you're screwed. It's out the window, right? Yeah. It all depends on how how you write it up to begin with, right? Because you can't just patent, you know, like these huge blanket statement things. And oh, I get it. Like if you said that the like alternating, that. well, really, it's like it's like patenting the internal combustion engine. Like you can't you can't really do that. Or maybe somebody tried, and I, I don't know. Again, I'm not a patent lawyer, but you can't patent these broad things. Like I don't think you can patent the swimming pool. Like, oh, it's a big hole with a bunch of water in it. <laughs> you know, you, I don't think you can do that. <laughs> Maybe you can patent the pool that's, like, shaped in some certain way or or whatever. Or if you had a pool where, like, somehow its shape allowed a natural recirculation of the water with only the gentlest help of the filter. Yeah, or, or a pool with, like, a bidet in the middle. Or, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know, something weird. Okay, we should move on. Yes. Um, actually, Michael, I think that was a that was a good question, and I think Michael Vinito is going to be our sock winner for tonight. That sounds good. If we already picked a sock winner and we haven't went through the rest of the questions, that's that's pretty. Yeah. We can do whatever we want. When other people have their shows, we do what they want. They we can do pick. They can want. pick their winner at the end. But we pick it right freaking now. Oh, yeah. Because they're our because socks and it's our show. It's eight forty-six. They're not our socks. I had to pay a lot of money for those socks. Okay. I paid money for those socks too. Do they feel good on your feet? I haven't actually worn them yet. But you're an idiot, then. <laughs> They're are, awesome. you gonna, are you going to use it as a Speedo before we send it to Michael? I'm saving them only for special events. If if I did have that pair of socks that Michael was getting before Ben mailed them out, I would defile them in ways that you couldn't imagine. I would hang them on my ears like I was a puppy dog, and <laughs> then I would play tug-of-war with my dog with them so they'd get all stretched out and have holes in them. And then I'd probably fill them with meat and let the dogs try to eat the meat out of the socks. And then I'd mail the socks to you just to be spiteful. I figured you would just wear that as underwear, like a sock. I'd need like three a pairs sock. of socks to like tie together and like fashion a loincloth from. That'd be pretty awkward. Just a sock. Just wear a sock around your jacket. Could I like put some type of like lasso on Yeah, it? yeah, you could totally do a lasso, but... We're going to do that with Michael's socks. Like, they're going to get played with. I've got one dogs. more little thing on the whole SRAM deal, and it's just my personal opinion, and it has to do with the whole lawsuit thing or whatever might or might not happen. If SRAM decides to, after the fact, go after all these small companies that have kind of made their, made their startup on these things, and they wait like a year or two to do it, shame on you. Like, yeah. if you're going to do it, you better enforce it from day one, and you better enforce it quickly. Yeah. Because don't let people get established and do all this stuff and then do it later. So that's all i got to say. That, that, breaks, that breaks Breck Epic's rule number one. Yeah, don't be a dick. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, so like the other problem if is... If Sam does that, absolutely shame on them. Yeah, I think that the other issue you would run into is the... What do you call it? 
arguably the market is already ruined. I mean, when when XX chain rings, XX one chain rings are like what a hundred plus dollars a piece. Yes. And then race face chain rings are what like fifty. Yeah. Forty five. They're 50. half the price. But the thirty tooth is like ten dollars more because of the machining for like threading in there. Well, whatever. They're, they're half the price. Yeah. So I mean, of the SRAM ring. And you don't have to buy another crank. Yeah. So you could buy like five different race face narrow wide chain rings instead of buying like an XX1 crank, even from the cheapest place you can find it, and a replacement ring. Yeah. And here's so. the thing is the fact of the matter is people are still going to ride XX1 cranks with XX1 chain rings because they're good. There's nothing wrong with them. And they need to just be happy with that. And if somebody wants to ride a good product that's half the price, great. Right. You know, so. Again, SRAM, because I know you're listening because you always do. If you you go after these people after the fact, shame on you. And I really don't think they're going to do that. Hopefully they don't. SRAM doesn't seem to have the history of doing stuff like that. They seem to be pretty, they seem to be pretty bro about that stuff. So let's hope they continue to be bro about that and they don't try to lawyer up and, and hit people on some technicality like that. If it was a truly groundbreaking thing that was like a huge feat of engineering that you did. I understand getting patents on things like that makes sense. You know, I mean, R and D costs money. You need to protect that. And I understand that, but again, you can't let other companies go and do this stuff and then slap them on the, on the hand, like two years later. Uh, and put them two on years later would be more like a punch in the dick. Yeah, it would be, that would be really bad. So don't do that. So slap on the wrist, not punch in the dick. Yes. All right. Keep um, going. Uh, next question. How about from Kenny Patton, Pattonod? Um, he says, and I picked this because I have personal experience and I'm reading questions. A debate between me and coworkers. Does bumping happen during mountain bike races? I say no because I've been in a few and it has not happened. Coworkers say yes, it does happen. First off, if you work somewhere where you and your coworkers can describe mountain, can like talk about mountain bike racing, that's pretty awesome. I do. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm oh, the yeah, president of the company, Mount yeah. White, so. Yeah. He actually brings me his old Switchback magazine and drops it on my desk and is like, here you go. I've what already is, read it. Does he actually say to you? Something along those lines, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's my old magazine, dickhead. No, it's usually, here you go, bitch. <laughs> or fucker. Oh, I said it three times. Well, I only know this twice. It's okay. Um... Uh, so yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Okay, so first and, off, and Andrea, go first. Give your input, and I'll give mine. The unspoken rule about bumping is hands on the handlebars, um, and it's a little bit more acceptable. And you're less like, you know, if you pull your hand off the handlebar and push someone or punch them in the face or the head or something like that's that's a dick move. Don't do that. And you can definitely get disqualified for that because it's real obvious to everybody. Um, Generally, the rider whose wheel is in front, you know, if both of you are trying to fly for the same piece of trail, whoever's in front kind of has the right of way. But bumping, it it can happen. It can happen. I'm not saying it happens very often. My big thing is though, from personal experience in like road racing, if you bump into someone, you just you bump into someone. You're just like, okay, we touched each other. Whatever. Mountain bike racing, if you bump into someone, they get real butthurt about it. Um, so, you know, I say it's all right. Keep your hands on the handlebars and don't, don't do anything 
overtly dangerous, um, but it's a race, and you're riding aggressively if you want to, you know, win or whatever. Um, it's a race. I mean, you're not out there to make friends, and if you happen to make some physical contact in the process, I don't think that's necessarily a wrong thing. Um, you know, so that's my take on it. Just you know, just know that you know if you're if you're like I don't know if you're if you've done like road racing or something like criterium racing on the road, you constantly bump into people and lean on people and get elbows and you know close shut off from turns and stuff like that. It's just a part of racing. I mean, you just get used to it and it's it's a little bit it's physical. Same with like cross racing at the elite level. You know, people bump into you. It, it just happens. But mountain bike racing, I'd be just as comfortable with bumping into people, but a lot of people who just mountain bike race are not comfortable with it. So watch out. Yep. No, those are all really, really good points. And that's kind of exactly what I think. So generally in my experience, I've been really happy. Most mountain bike racers, especially as you get to the higher levels, are pretty courteous people for the most part. Most people have a general understanding of if some guy flies up behind you and they're very obviously a stronger rider at that point oh, in the yeah, race. Yeah. Most people are totally fine when they're able to is to get by. And of course, when you're in the race state, you're in the race pace and you're in the race mode and you're behind somebody and you're like asking to get by and they're not immediately letting you by, what them not letting you by for like 15 seconds feels like 10 minutes. So, you know, you got to kind of keep that stuff in mind. Most of my experiences have been if somebody, well, first of all, if they're out in front, they have the right of way, as right. far as I'm concerned. Right. If you were concerned with that, you shouldn't have let them gotten out in front. You should have ridden harder to begin with. And so if you're that concerned about that, that's your own damn problem. They're out in front, and you have to make the pass. Yeah, it's your job to pass. So, and what the other thing is, generally, pass where it's roughly safe. You know, find a large break in trees or whatever it is. And, you know, don't try to force a pass in the tightest part of the trail. You know, don't try, I would never intentionally try to crash somebody out. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. If I ask over and over again, and I'm very obviously faster than the guy in front, and it's like the turn of the second lap, and there's three laps, and the guy's just not letting me by for some reason, I'm going to get a little irritated, and I'm going to press the issue at that point. And, you know, I'm going to try to do it where it's open. And here's the thing. I've, I've had situations where I've passed people where I really thought I had enough room, but it turns out on single track, trees come up real fast. Yeah, and it is. takes a long time to pass someone sometimes, especially if you're both going at race pace and you're both at least a similar skill level, right? So yeah. it can be very difficult to execute a pass cleanly. And what I've done before is I've kind of closed the door on somebody when I'm like kind of half past them and I almost have no choice. But I yeah. never, I'm never going to like throw an elbow at somebody or try to intentionally crash them out. But sometimes I'll have to kind of like scoot an arm in to, so I don't hit a tree and crash. Right. And, and kind of push them over a little bit. And I've never crashed anybody out, but I've definitely made physical contact with somebody, either my arm against their bar or maybe maybe torso to torso. Like nothing nothing crazy. I've never intentionally tried to crash somebody out. And I usually say like, oh, shoot, like, sorry. Like, you know, at least make it known that you're not trying to crash them out. And I've never had an issue. Here we got someone calling. Oh, very cool. Yeah. You want to take it now or? Yeah, yeah sure. Why not? Hey, caller, who's this? Hey, guys. Uh, my name is Jeff. I'm calling from Canada. A long time listener, first time caller. 
Awesome. Uh, I got a question for you about um, clipless pedals. Sure. Uh, basically, uh, basically, I don't use them. Um, just uh, I came from a BMX background and then new to mountain biking. What I use is platform pedals. I'm just wondering if there's any benefits to uh, switching. I've done one race and I looked around and everyone else was using clipless. And I've read a few reviews saying you don't necessarily have to. I think Matt's a good judge on going from BMX to the mountain bike world. So, clarify, what type of BMX? Well, I used to race. Did you race flipless then? No. Okay, so I'm kind of a bad judge. I rode clipless pedals. I started riding Shimano clipless pedals in the year 99 for BMX. So I raced BMX with clipless pedals. And then I also rode like the skate park and dirt jumps on platforms. And then it only was, it only made sense to me to ride clipless pedals on the mountain bike because I'd already raced them on the BMX bike. Oh, uh, I could be wrong and I don't mean to interject too much, but doesn't pretty much everybody that races BMX these days run clipless? Isn't that pretty standard? There, even like 2005, it was very uncommon to not run BMX pedals or, pla or SPD or clipless pedals. Yeah, most people racing clipless on BMX, right? And it's nearly, at, at like the 2005, it was nearly exclusively Shimano pedals, okay. actually. Okay. So, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, I but think... I guess it's I sort of like, it kind of dates me back a little bit. Like, I, I haven't raced probably 15 years since I've been racing BMX, so... Um, yeah. kind of wonder, like, like, um, like, what do you guys see... Do you ever see anyone riding platform, or is that, like, more just downhill? Well, what's really interesting is even the downhill guys, and they kind of go back and forth, the downhill race guys mostly run clipless pedals. The only guys you're going to see that are, like, in my view, hugely skilled are going to be, like, trials riders, uh, free ride kind of guys. You know, there's definitely a lot of merits for platform pedals, but in a racing situation... I don't really think you're going to encounter anybody on platforms that's actually going to do well. Um, I've ridden with some cross-country guys that are very fast that insist on still riding platforms. But the fact is, those guys would be even faster if they rode with clipless. They're just, for whatever reason, not comfortable with it. The biggest thing for me about clipless is that, especially when you get tired, you can still have a decently efficient pedal stroke. And you don't have to worry about your feet flying off the pedals and... You know, I think after a while, when it's just, it's because racing is about putting power down is really what it boils down to. And you're yeah. going to put power down more efficiently with clipless pedals. I don't think you could really argue that the other way. And especially when the train gets really gnarly and you're trying to stay on the trail, you're not trying to like jump over it like a free rider or something like that. Having that extra control uh, to keep the bike exactly where you want it is huge. Um, I just, I couldn't imagine riding single track on platforms. Like it would just be, it you know would be what, more work. You know, it's crazy though. There's a dude that I saw uh, two different Shenandoahs and he actually came out in Silmo, Silmo and rode some. Yeah. Uh, Nate from Virginia, he rides platform pedals in like high top Reeboks. That's awesome. And like the first year Shenandoah actually beat me by like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can be decently quick on platforms, but yeah. I think it's, well, you just got to try it. Just go get a set and just try yeah. them. That's all you got to yeah, do. No, and you got to sure. give them a good, give them time. 
because it's going to be weird and it's going to be different. But I think what you're going to find is after you ride them for a long time and you get used to that pedal stroke and then you go back to platforms, I think you're going to realize, oh, wow, I'm missing I'm missing a lot of this, like especially on really steep climbs and real technical climbs when you have to, you're putting out every ounce of power you possibly have to get up a hill and then there's an obstacle. It's extremely difficult to get up over that obstacle and still put power down with a platform pedal. Like it's just not going to happen. I think that, and this is something that I've found, and this not to discredit anyone else's riding ability, or, but maybe just a difference in style. I've found I don't really pull up on the pedals. I never pull up, um, especially on the hardtail. I, I have to do a lot of work mentally of keeping smooth and consistent power to the pedals in order to not spin. Like when I'm going up something, it's a little rougher and uphill. The nicest thing about the Clipless pedal for me is the consistent and continuous foot placement. Your, so your foot is in the same place all the time. All the time, every time. Your foot never wanders out from under you. Like it's not like your foot walks off the pedal. Your foot can't bounce off the pedal either. Exactly. So what you'll find? What kind of bike are you riding? Is it a hardtail or a full suspension? It's a full. It's a full suspension. Yeah. Um, and what kind of travel do you have? Uh, hundred. Okay, so you'll find that you'll be able to pedal downhill in other places. It's really cool when you're going down like a pretty gentle grade that's maybe a little rooty or rocky, and you're still putting like massive power into the bike, and you're just hauling ass downhill because your feet can't kind of wander and bounce off the pedal. It's so fun. Okay. Like it lets you make your own little enduro sections out of gently downhill and bumpy sections. It's really cool. All right, cool. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the info. No problem, man. No Thanks problem. for calling. All right, chip. All right, so we were talking about something. We were talking what about happened? bumping, but I think we kind of we covered it. What were we talking about? No, we were talking about do you should you make physical contact in a race? Oh yeah, yeah bumping. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that was my input. My input was basically like it it, it does happens. happen. I have done it to people before where I had to like press a pass because it was just a tight trail or whatever. But I've never, I don't know, I've never felt aggressive or or like that I want to like take the person out in front of me like I try yeah, to yeah. I, mean, that's, I try to make it happen as courteously as I possibly can you know, and I always give the person the benefit of the doubt like I always say like hey you know can you let me buy and most 90% of the time if they realize you've been tailing them for five minutes they're gonna let you buy anything. yeah I mean okay so it's one thing like if it's different categories if someone in another category than you needs to get by because it's part of their race that's one thing, you know, that's, that goes with rule number one, don't be a dick. Yeah. Um, don't mess with someone else's race. Now, if it is you versus someone else who you are just head-to-head -head racing against, you know, that's where you can definitely get into a little bit of, you know, just holding your spot on the trail. And if you make physical contact during that point in time, you make it, you know, it's yeah, it's just like you said, nothing aggressive like trying to take someone out, but if you bump into each other, you, you bump into each other. It, oh, it, it happens. I mean, you've got, you're sharing like a six-inch spot on the ground. Yeah. You know, you're going to have to, you have to make it, you have to make it happen. I always just choose the route of like, I don't want to have to win a race by blocking somebody the entire time. That's not fun for me. 
I would never want to be that guy that even if I could somehow win a race by blocking someone for an entire lap, why would you want to do that? Like that that seems like a real dick move. I would make them make the pass. Well exactly just like in, you know, in the tour. When somebody has a mechanical that's not their fault, like a spectator. Yeah. They could just leave and win. But most of those guys don't do that. Yeah, most of the guys do. will stop and wait. Honor among thieves. It's an honor thing because you don't want to win because of some cheap technicality that wasn't someone's fault. I mean, you know, why would you want to do that? Just in the same way that I would never want to win a race by blocking someone. However, you know, if it's the last one mile of the race and you both are riding really hard and, like, nobody's obviously really gaining ground on the other person, yeah, I'm going to lay the hammer down and I'm going to try to not let somebody pass me because there's one mile left in the race. But, you but know, you're not going to, if they start coming around on your right, you're not going to swerve right and, like, elbow them. No, I'm not going to, like, go push them off the trail because of that, right? You're just not going to move from your line. And guess what? I'm not going to slow down to allow them to pass. Right. They're going to have to make the pass happen exactly. and go around me at my race pace. And if they can make the pass happen at my race pace in the last mile, they deserve to win. And that's just how it, that's just how it works. I'm also assuming that I'm in second place and is usually in contention for, like, fifth. So <laughs> Here's If they number. really want fourth place that bad, like, boom, <laughs> go for it, you know? <laughs> I have ran into an issue where I know someone heard me yelling at them and they just wouldn't let me pass. Oh, yeah, no, that's happening. That's that happening. Absolutely. Different category or same category? Different category. Yeah. Yeah. And it got ugly. I mean, it got really ugly. It ended up the next time I had to... I kept telling this person that there was two single speeders back, two single speeders back, and the dude just kept using his granny gear. And it was like mile 10 of 60. Yeah. And I was yelling at him, can we get by? And like he was wearing like a Costelli jersey, and I kept calling him Costelli. Hey, Costelli guy, can we come by? Hey, next bump, you know, yeah. when we get a little... And he like acted like he didn't hear me, and he was trying to play Johnny Cool like, if you're faster than me, you'll pass me. So the next time I had to get off my bike, I grabbed it and ran around him in the woods, cussing at him, because he started screaming at me when I like pushed my bike in front of his onto the trail, like, no, now I'm leading and you can eat a dick. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because here I was like mile 10 of 60 and I was blowing up trying to go that slow yeah. uphill. And so it, just, it all comes down to don't be a dick. Don't be that guy. I mean, you should have a general sense of you, especially in a cross-country race. I always have, like, a general idea. When I'm on the start line, I'm thinking, okay, I wonder who's behind me. And guess what? When someone comes rocking up behind me and I realize that they started two minutes, they started yeah, two and minutes after me. two minutes after Yeah, you. they started two minutes after me because two-minute waves are pretty common. Yeah. Guess what? Go. The first thing I'm going to think is, this guy's probably not in my category, and I really don't want to hold this guy up. GTFO. So yeah. you move out of the way. If and they make up two minutes and 25 minutes. Exactly. That guy is so much faster than you that you need to just let it go. Now, this is very important. Let's say all three of us were racing open 25-mile race. All right. And the cat one 25-mile race started right behind us for yep. whatever reason. Yeah. Bad playing on the promoter's part. Yeah, which but happens, by the way, a lot. It does. It does. And we happen to be sitting right now. Kenny, Matt, Andrea. That's our order. And let's say uh, Indy, the dog, started two minutes behind us. When any Indy comes up behind us, all three of us should fall off the trail. Yes. Indy should pass. We should re-enter the trail. Kenny, Matt, Andrea. Yes. 
this happened during the cross country race. We pulled over to let somebody by, and this guy fell out with the the passers and assumed the lead, which I had been pretty handily working for, or heavily working for. Yeah, and so it all comes back to don't be a dick. Don't take advantage of a situation like that. Right. So if if a guy in front is nice enough to pull over for the guy that's like hauling ass or that's a pro or whatever and you know and you're behind don't use that as an opportunity while the guy that you've been chasing down is pulled over to make the pass or the guy that you've been happily riding their wheel but not strong enough to ride around yeah that's really what it came down to for our race so yeah, yeah. well it's 908 um you guys want a gtfo or you want to answer some more questions <laughs> Uh, probably need a GTFO. Okay. Well, what, do we have anything else really interesting? Someone wants us to compare Transylvania and Pisgah. Yeah, I don't. You, we, nobody here has done that. So. I haven't done Pisgah. I'd love to. If anyone out there wants to get me an entry to Pisgah and let me stay at their house or pay for a hotel and food and everything, like, if you want to monetarily sponsor me to go to Pisgah, I will... I would love to do it because I like that's my final frontier of American stage racing is the Pisgah stage race. And if I could do all three of those in one season, Transylvania and Breck and, and Pisgah, that would be awesome. So if uh, you know Phil, if you're out there and you're listening and you want to know what I think about Pisgah, uh, you know there's uh, I'll give you my PayPal address and I'll go and race Pisgah and I'll compare those two in great detail for you. Uh, let's see, we had someone ask about uh, dropper seat post. Yeah, I have a good answer for that guy. If you want a cheap dropper seat post, buy a quick release seat post clamp. There yeah, you go. Yeah, that's that's your I'm... only option. Problem solved. There's no such thing as a cheap dropper seat post. At least not one that's going to not weigh 50 pounds and work. Exactly. Where yeah. it like chunks up and down, oh, left God. and right. Yeah, good that. dropper seat posts are going to be two to $400. And that's just the name of the game. Uh, someone wondering about full-length housing for a cyclocross bike and wondering about retro shift. Uh, uh, retro shift is wonky and you'll look like a retro grouch and full-run housing is the business. And if you're, if you're a little bit just full-run curious, you can run your housing just like the last section of housing full-run. Um, if like most cyclocross bikes, yours has a cable stop at like the seat stay or like the top part, like the top tube, um, you know, you can run full run from there so you don't have like a break in that little loop back by the rear derailleur because, yeah, for cyclocross, I think even, I think it's even worse for cyclocross than it is mountain bikes because cyclocross courses, you will just always ride when it rains. Like mountain biking, if you're, you know, a nice person, you're not going to be riding muddy trails all the time. Cyclocross bikes get the shit beaten out of them. So, yeah, full run for cyclocross is the way to go. Um, and, yeah, what Matt said about retro shift, that was Darren Chapman wondering about that. Mike Holmes had kind of some in-depth stuff about winter. So we should just it doesn't get that cold here. We should Sorry. Just, we're going to save that for next time. It doesn't um, get that cold here. We're never talking about that. <laughs> Mike Rogers wanted to know what's the best secondary beverage to carry, um, like alcoholic beverage, you know, like in addition to whatever you have normally when you ride. 
beer or tequila or rum or all of the above? I would say. What's the best secondary? What's the primary? Where can water. You, you like your water. Like if you had water, like so, we saw primary would be non-alcoholic. Secondary would be alcoholic beverage. Oh, I thought it was a. I thought it was the secondary alcoholic beverage. No. I was like, wow, that's really so Matt dedicated. And I, Matt and I have figured out the. I mean, I'm a fan of flat because I mean, Matt and I both are are pretty gluten free, so we don't do a lot of beer unless it's a gluten free beer or a cider or some of Ryan's special gluten free beer. Um, but yeah, so I like a flask of alcohol. Um, I'm not real picky on the alcohol. I wouldn't. I don't think I'd want tequila in there just because it smells funny. Bourbon. Yeah, bourbon's good. What kind of bourbon? Drink out of the flask. That Four Roses that I got in Louisville that time, that was delicious. Um, if anyone wants to send me some bourbon, like Four Roses, that would that would be great. Uh, you know, email Ben. He'll give you an address. Or Andrea at Mountain Bike Radio. I have that now. Do you have one? I am full face Kennedy at mountainbikeradio.com. <laughs> because heaven forbid another Kenny might come along. Are you pool boy Matt or just Matt? Just Matt. Oh, I have a sad. That's a very boring screen name. Very boring email. It's not a screen name. It's a your fucking... screen name. What's your mountain bike radio screen name? <laughs> yeah. Are we back in like 2002? This is so boring. Someone's gonna be filling out the two on this like email that they have, and they're gonna fall asleep. <laughs> they're gonna be like Matt at mountain bike. Oh my god, so boring. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. <laughs> All They're right. going to be, like, busy taking new pictures of themselves with me, so they won't fall asleep. I've already gotten, like, six new photos. Wow. Big hairy dudes? <laughs> Only one was hairy. The rest of them were pretty cleanly shaven, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I was amazed that a man that large could shave that much. Yeah. He probably had to have a helper. And he was actually... You think about that for a He minute. actually was wanting to know my, my rate. For my rate. Yeah, help shave, and while I was down there, you know. Why? Wow. You look like a mighty hairless lad. I'm sure you're very experienced with body shaving. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we should leave before this gets worse. Yes. Um, you have just listened to another hour and 15 minutes of the best internet radio show in the world. Just riding along, brought to you by Pro Gold Bikes, butt chugging, and Pro Gold again. Good night. <laughs>